Due to technical difficulties, we were not able to record the scripture reading, but it was taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is God's word. So we've been learning how to put on the God-like self, how to put on the Christ-like self, how to put on the new self once we become Christians. Paul has been talking about that. Since we have been saved by grace, we should live in grace. And that's what this practical theology that Paul's been talking about is. How do we live by grace? How do we put on the new self that has been remade in the image of God. Paul has told us how to put on the new self in our relationships and in our marriages, in our homes and at work. He's even told us how to put on the new self with how we manage our spiritual gifts and how we manage something as basic as our time. Now he turns our attention to putting on the new self in a spiritual sense. The Bible portrays, if, if you haven't figured this out yet or, or you're still new to the faith or to looking at the Bible, the Bible portrays a sphere of reality outside of our space-time continuum where spiritual beings are essentially pulling the strings in such a way that humanity in time and space is greatly impacted. Spiritual beings, many of whom do not have your best interest in mind. Now, some people can admit to the existence of God, but they might reject as silly and medieval the idea of Satan or demons or angels you know, or, or, or you know, higher powers that are wicked, that are bad, um, that dwell in bad places. And, and, and if that's you, um, if, if you're kind of concerned about this passage and what I'm going to be talking about, I, I, I want to share with you an illustration. When I was in college, I was part of a men's Bible study for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, uh, many of us in the group were Christians. A couple of folks maybe were not Christians yet, but they were, they were intrigued by Christianity, and, and a couple of guys were brand new Christians, like not even a year long. And the topic on this one occasion was uh, spiritual warfare. 
And, and the, the phrase spiritual warfare kept coming up. Spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. And you know, when, when you take something for granted, you kind of say it in passing. You say it quickly. But there was a guy in the room who was utterly confused. And finally, at the end of the night, he said, oh, you're, you said spiritual warfare? I, he said, the whole time, I thought you were all saying spear warfare. So we're having this serious discussion about spiritual conflict. And this poor guy, this, this new Christian, is looking at us like we've lost our minds. Because he's trying to figure out where in American society do people engage in spear warfare. And, and I bring that up to just say, you know, it, it's understandable to be looking at a passage like this and feeling like you're a total outsider and you have no idea what's going on. I want to encourage you though, we need to take this seriously. You know, Jesus, despite what, what we uh, postmodern scientific age of reason enlightened Western Americans think, uh, Jesus took Satan seriously. Jesus of Nazareth talked about Satan a lot and actually Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world, I quote. And actually, in the last century, it was uh, the medical doctor turned into a pastor, uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, and I always appreciate his perspective on spiritual matters, because he was a man of science. He was a medical doctor before he went into ministry, and, and so I felt like he had a balanced perspective. He took, he took the modern age and, and scientific discovery and the material realities in which we live seriously, but he also took spiritual realities that we cannot see, that we cannot comprehend with our senses, he took those seriously also. And he said, in a world of collapsing institutions, moral chaos, and increasing violence, if we cannot discern the chief cause of our ills, how can we hope to cure them? Now, he published those words the year I was born. That was decades ago. Since then, since then, Humanity has only advanced tremendously in the sciences, in technology, in information, and in medicine, right? But when you read the newspaper, when you scroll on your phone through your newsfeed, Lloyd-Jones's words ring true. He said, the facts are, however, the facts of the news prove that we are obviously worse. We are technologically advanced, and yet morally, we are just as depraved as we were 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago, right? The, the, the 20th century was uh, the most educated form of humanity ever, and one of the most bloody and horrific forms of humanity ever. Listen, if God is good, and if he is just, and if he is loving, and if he is merciful, and the book of Ephesians says he is all of those things, if God is good, where does evil come from? We must know the true enemy, and we must fight spiritual conflict with spiritual means. Otherwise, the great con uh, contrast between human advancement and human depravity will never make sense to you. You will remain frustrated and confused and I think deceived unless we take the true enemy 
unless we take spirituality seriously. So today I want to talk about spiritual conflict from the Apostle Paul's perspective in Ephesians chapter 6. But I want to talk about the means by which God has appointed for us to fight spiritual conflict. And finally, I want to talk about the victory that God guarantees for all of his sons and daughters. Spiritual conflict, the means by which we fight it, and the guarantee for victory that our God has promised us. Spiritual conflict, look, the spiritual conflict that we face is a real threat and it is of the greatest danger. Now, protective gear is worn by military people, right? Soldiers wear protective gear. In many sports, athletes wear protective gear, right? Why? Because they know the risks involved in what they're doing, right? They know the risks of engagement. They know the risks of competition, and so they gird up, right? They supply themselves. They guard themselves with the proper equipment and, in some circumstances, with the proper weaponry. And so the Apostle Paul says in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And then he rephrases it, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, it's, it's not just the good guys in the heavenly places that are pulling the strings on human history. There are also beings among them who are, as Paul says, scheming. They're up to something, and you're their target. The New Testament scholar Lynn Coick, I think, has a really helpful analogy of what Paul is trying to describe in, in the spiritual realms. She writes this, she says, one way of visualizing Paul's understanding is as a stage with elaborate scaffolding. Believers act their parts on the floor of the stage while angels, rulers and authorities, and spiritual powers move about in the scaffolding. And in the unsearchable heights above the stage lighting sits Christ the Lord at God the Father's right hand. We might imagine the Holy Spirit speaking in a stage whisper, providing wisdom and revelation to those who, with enlightened hearts, live into their calling and take hold of the power of Christ in each of them and in the church body. This is a wonderful analogy of how the New Testament authors understood the interaction between spiritual reality and what we know in the time-space continuum. While we live this life here on the ground, there is conflict up in the scaffolding, so to speak, that has its major influence on what we experience and how we live. So, the Christian, Paul is saying, the Christian possesses a new mindset. The Christian has a different mindset, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, you see? That's part of this new mindset. That's part of the new self that has been raised with Jesus Christ and is being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We are not, and this is really important, 
This is a, the first takeaway of our new mindset that we are not at war with human beings. Listen to me carefully. We are not at war with opposing points of view and opposing worldviews. We are not at war with political ideologies that are different than ours. We are not even at war with other religions. It seems like we are, but we're not. Now, of course, culture, politics, and, and from a faith perspective, apologetics, right? Defending and explaining our faith, and evangelism, and witness. All of these things matter very much. And so the Christian should engage in all of these things. The Christian should work hard in all of these things with compassion, with wisdom, and with excellence. I'm not downplaying any of that, but that's not the primary conflict according to Paul. The war is against Satan's armies, what does he say? In the heavenly places. That's the real threat. So Christians suit up for spiritual conflict because they have a spiritual enemy. Now, if the enemy is spiritual, how do you fight it? If the enemy is spiritual, with what do we fight it? With spiritual means. With the spiritual means that God has appointed. The spiritual means by which we fight spiritual conflict are God-authorized and God-issued. Now, we discover, I think surprisingly, that Paul's strategy for spiritual conflict is a defensive strategy. It is not an offensive one. Did you notice that? Look at verses 13 and 14. And, and you'll even see this in verse 11. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, he says. Withstand, it means to resist. He even says to stand firm. He says again, stand therefore. Back in verse 11, he said, stand against. So withstand, stand firm, stand for, stand against the schemes of the devil. One scholar put it this way, Christians are not to advance, but to hold the ground, right? To hold the line. The strategy is clearly resistance, not advancement. But why? Why is Paul's strategy resistance and not attack? Because of the nature of our enemy, right? Now, I'm not a soldier. I've never been a soldier. I only, I've only seen movies. But I've talked to some of you. Strategy is important. The nature of your enemy dictates in part what your strategy is. And this is why Paul is encouraging Christians in a campaign of resistance and not advancement because of the nature of who Satan is. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 2, do you remember what Paul called Satan? Right? This is the guy we used to follow when we were walking in darkness, when we were spiritually dead according to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Now, I don't know about you, but if your enemy, if, you're, if your opponent is called the prince of the power of the air, I, that does not sound like a fair fight. Alfred Hitchcock's classic thriller from the, uh, 1963, The Birds, 
Now, those of you here who are very young, you're thinking, what's so intimidating about birds? And those of you who are a bit older than me are shaking in your pants right now. So the birds depicts this, uh, this thriller in, in which this, this town is, is overrun by these you know, flocks of angry birds who for no apparent reason, for mysterious reasons, attack human beings, right? Like going after their eyes, going after their heads, getting caught in their hair and killing many of them. And you see in, in, in the plot the absolute futility of these people trying to fight an airborne threat when they themselves can't fly, right? I mean, flocks of birds, even ones that are not angry with you, are still intimidating. Have you ever, have you, have you ever been walking beneath an enormous flock of birds? It's kind of intimidating because you're stuck on the ground and they have the position of advantage. I mean, what was the big deal about World War II? What was famously important for the first time in history about World War II? Air coverage, right? That made all the difference in the world if you had air cover. So, so flocks of even nice, pleasant birds are still intimidating because you're kind of stuck on the ground, right? Well, as you watch the movie, the people who survive, they don't survive because they go out and try and fight the birds on the birds' turns. The survivors in the movie survive because they hunker down and they wall themselves in, they board themselves in, and they wait it out. The survivors are the ones who wait it out. You cannot conquer the devil. It is not a fair fight. But you can resist him, and that's Paul's point. It was actually James chapter 4 that said, resist the devil. You see, there it is again. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the Christian needs to learn how to make use of whatever means God has issued to protect and defend you. You have to use the equipment that God has issued. And so what is the equipment? Paul says in verses 14 through 17, and Chrissy talked to the kids about this, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Now, we're not going to get into all the particulars of how we're... What is common, right? He's not talking about, you know, he's not talking about AR-15s and pea shooters here. We're not, how does one use the shield of faith? What is the point of all of the weaponry and armor? What do they all have in common? Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is scripture, the word of God. What do they all have in common? They come from God. They are the gifts of God's grace to us. They, God has issued them for us. We have not issued them for ourselves. We didn't design them, and we didn't provide ourselves with them. God designed them. God gave them to us as a means of his grace. And so he goes on to say in 11, put on the whole armor of God. And I think it's interesting because back in chapter 4, verse 24, the same language Paul had said, put on the new self. And so now he's bringing all these principles together for us. He's offering you another 
practical application of what it looks like in the Christian life to put on the God-like self, the Christ-like self, the new you, to put off the old you and put on the new you. As we grow in grace, and the old Westminster divines and the Puritans called these things the means of grace, all that God has provided by his kindness, not because of our works, but because of his love and kindness. All that God has provided to us, the means of grace, this is the equipment. This is the armor. As we grow in grace, we are equipping ourselves to resist Satan. It's God's war. It's God's war that we're soldiers in. And so we need God's armor. Verse 10 Again, back to the beginning of the passage. Finally, be strong in what? In whom? Be strong in the Lord. And in what? And in the strength of his might. That sounds simple, but that's so important. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in his strength. Now, that gives us, I think, an encouragement and a rebuke. Here's the encouragement. That God has not left us helpless. That God has not left you alone. Paul had told us in chapter 1, verse 19, that the very power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in the Christian. The same power. It was the Apostle John who said that he who is in you, meaning Christ and his spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, meaning the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of Satan himself. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in as Jesus called him, the ruler of this world. So you may be feeling knocked down right now. You may be feeling injured, spiritually speaking. You may feel maimed. You may feel like a flock of angry birds, so to speak, has torn you up. And you may be the worst thing of all, discouraged. But take heart. You are not defeated. It's impossible to be. Here's the rebuke. God has not equipped you to fight only for yourself. It's not simply your personal war. It's not simply your personal addictions and your personal temptations and your personal struggles and depressions and conflicts. And I don't want to be insensitive about any of that. That's not my point. This is my point. Satan wants you to think it's your war by yourself. Satan wants you to think that it's just him and you, one against one. He wants you to think that you're stuck on the ground and that he's coming at you from above. He wants you to think these things, and it's not true. You are part of a platoon. As a Christian, you are part of a company. You are part of a corps. You are a part of an entire army because this is God's war. And no Christian should feel like she is alone or like he is alone. This is God's conflict. This is a great cosmic struggle, and it's greater than any one soldier's fight. So that guards us against selfishness and an egotistical, myopic view of our problems and everybody's existence to help us through our problems. It's not your war, my friend. But it also gets us out of ourselves to realize that there are other foot soldiers who need us just as much as we need them. Because it is not their war alone either. This is God's conflict. And we must gird ourselves with the equipment that he has issued because we have a spiritual enemy 
and he doesn't fight fair. Beware of deception. Beware of self-deception. And ask yourselves, who am I fighting? And ask yourself, what is my equipment? Who am I fighting, and what is the equipment that I'm using? Two general examples. Ask yourself, are you a religious churchgoer at war with the secular culture around us? Are you a moral person who goes to church and is frustrated with how our society is falling apart, excuse me, falling apart, and you're at war with your neighbors? You're at war with your secular friends. You're at war with your relatives. If the conflict that you're most worried about is the culture war, and there is a culture war going on in the West, of course there is. We're all concerned about it. But if that's your big conflict, if that's the conflict you're most worried about, friend, I gotta tell you, you're gonna have to fight that one in the strength of your own might. Because Jesus isn't mostly concerned about that conflict. He said, he said to Pilate, what? My kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would be fighting. That's why Pilate was so confused. Maybe you're confused too. What do characters in literature and movies like Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, what do they teach us? What do these people teach us? Right? Or, or the, the new villain, the, the jock in Stranger Things in the last season. What do these supposedly you know, upright heroes teach us? They teach us that self-righteous moralism mixed with fear deceives us into fighting the wrong enemy and leading others to fight the wrong enemy. We have to be very careful if we think that the major fight of our lives is the culture war. Don't be deceived. It's not. Be concerned. <laughs> but I'm telling you, there's a much bigger conflict going on. Or maybe you're coming from a totally different perspective. Maybe you, despite your presence here, and I'm so glad you're here, maybe you're not a Christian. You have an even bigger problem, my friend. Remember how I quoted 1 John chapter 4, how it says that Christ who is in you is greater than Satan who is in the world? Well, if God is not in you, you you've got to do this thing in your own strength. All that you have to engage in this spiritual conflict, all that you have is your own talent, your own wealth, your own assets, your own intelligence, and your own connections. That's all you have. That's all you have to resist the prince of the power of the air. That's all you have. And you know what? Nothing that you have is a match for him. None of it. He is more talented than you are. He is wealthier than you are. He is smarting and more cunning than you are. And he has people everywhere. Beware of being self-deceived. And ask yourself, who are you fighting against? And what is the equipment you are using? You see, receiving the grace of God Receiving the grace of God and living in that grace, that's our only guarantee in this world and in the next for a spiritual victory. This is everything we have and it's all that we have. To receive the grace of God and as Paul said, walk in the light. 
put on the new self. This is our spiritual guarantee because Christ has issued it, because Christ has commanded it, because Christ, our captain, has promised to protect us and to lead us. He said in John chapter 10, I give my sheep eternal life. Notice he calls us sheep. Sheep have not got a chance against the prince of the power of the air. But Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You and I may be no match for Satan, but guess what? Satan is no match for Jesus Christ. He is no match for the good shepherd, the son of God. So come under the protection of the good shepherd. You know, God describes himself in the Old Testament. Jesus even described himself as as a mother hen, guiding her chicks under, under her wings. Come under the protection of the good shepherd. For who can separate us from him? Can any evil separate us from the good shepherd? Absolutely not. Paul said in Romans 8, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, our strategy right now is resistance, but the war will be won. Satan will be defeated. He will be conquered. Paul went on, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor powers nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's coming victory is guaranteed, and we know because he he rose from the dead. But now we resist. Now we wait in prayer and perseverance, verse 18. More about that next week. But we must know the true enemy, and we must engage spiritual conflict with spiritual means. You have to take off whatever you're trying to fight the wrong enemy with. You're twice deceived, you're twice confused. Get it straight. Get it straight. Read the word of God, take it to heart, and realize who the true enemy is and the weaponry and armor that a God who loves you has issued for you, has equipped for you to wear. Now train with that. Learn to train with the armor that God has issued to protect us and to defend us and resist him. Resist Satan, defend the church against him until Christ returns and he will win. Billy Graham was basically an ultimate optimist. He said, I've read the Bible. I know how it all ends. God wins. And and don't get all proud of yourself and try and come up with some kind of attack plan against Satan. It's not going to work. Resist him. Resist him with the means of grace. You want to know what it looks like practically? Talk to your community groups together. We have resources that you can read. Sometimes we need counseling. Sometimes we need a mentor. We need encouragement. But you've been given everything you need. You've been equipped. Use it. Put it on. Gird yourself with it. The means of grace will equip you to resist. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we are are fascinated. We are 
intimidated and a bit, a bit out of our element with this type of language. Father, we, we, we want to we want to heed C.S. Lewis's wise words. We, we don't want to assume that there isn't a Satan, but we, do, we also don't want to give him <laughs> way too much credit and, and way too much attention. Help us to keep our eyes on our Savior. Help us to trust that Jesus will do the fighting that we are not strong to do, that we have not been equipped to do. But help us to obey him. Help us to resist Help us to stay together and to not walk and live alone, but to worship together, to serve together, to live our lives in such a way that we all remember we are in this conflict together. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they would find confidence and strength in the grace of Jesus Christ that has been won for them on the cross, that has been guaranteed for them through an empty tomb and by his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, and he is coming back. Father, we long for him to come back. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.